Well, if you would today, uh, I want you to consider something with me. You can always tell a lot uh, about uh, a person by their spending habits, can't you? Uh, You can tell what people are willing to spend money on, what they're not willing to spend money on. You can tell who's the tightwad and who's never going to have anything because they just run through money like it's going out of style. So, sometimes love goes wrong. Have you seen it? Somebody breaks up with a boyfriend and they're devastated. Or marriage ends. We've seen it when we love our children, love them, love them, love them, and they hit 18, 19, and they want nothing to do with us. Literally, because of outside influences, turn on their parents. it's, It's painful Sometimes love goes wrong. So let's look at 1 Timothy chapter 6, beginning with verse 6. Now, this comes in the greater context of false teaching and false doctrine, keeping the church straight, squared away, teaching well. Timothy is a pastor, and he's, uh, he's being mentored by Paul. In fact, he's partnering with Paul on a lot. And so here we find now Paul's giving some good instruction. So in light of correct, good teaching. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. This is the word of God. So many kinds of love. Hmm. The focus of our passions, the focus of our commitments, these tell us a lot about love and what we love the most. Just go on social media and learn about what people love, who they adore, what's most important, what they want, what they hate, what they've lost, These things pop up continually on our social media because people kind of feel like if it's on social media, type, 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 enter, that it's kind of a private thing even though you're telling the world. And so we see a glimpse of what people really love. And sometimes it's not so pleasant. What does the scripture teach us about when love goes wrong? Well, one thing is real love. Real love 
is reserved for the things that matter. Real love reserved for the things that matter. Jesus told this simple truth to all who would listen, that you should love God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. We're also told you should love your neighbor as yourself. That's a foundational truth. That's something that cannot be compromised. That we love God, we love others. And and who are the others? Well, of course, it's people just like us, right? No. It's whoever is on this earth with us. People that look like us and don't look like us. People who believe like us and don't believe like us. People of the same or different education, language, cultural, whatever. God tells us that we should love him first and foremost. And then in the same breath, have love for one another. You know, it's not a sin to have other passions. And we do that. Today, I wore the closest to orange I have in a sport jacket. And I wore a shirt that has orange and a little bit of blue. I think those of you who follow sports know why. Because last night, Tennessee and Kentucky played basketball. I'm from Kentucky, but I live in Tennessee. And yesterday, I was in Mason County, Kentucky, in Maysville, visiting my grandson, who turned five, and had a big birthday party. Maysville. Surely you remember, Maysville is the home of Chris Lofton, who ignored Kentucky, even though he was Mr. Kentucky basketball, and came to star for four years for the Tennessee Vols. And during that time, he beat the daylights out of Kentucky over and over again. I think he liked it. And people rejoiced. Well, people south of the border rejoiced. So we have our passions. We enjoy it. We're Green Bay Packers fans. We're... um, uh, Dallas Cowboy fans. We're Cincinnati Reds fans. We, we, we've got our allegiances and we're fired up. And it, it, to be honest, there are a few things in life that really have less meaning than sports. But we are consumed with them, aren't we? Maybe it's vicarious living. Boy, I wish I was shortstop for this team. I'd take care of it. You know, we do that. We love food. We're passionate about food. I can ask, what's your favorite restaurant? What's your favorite meal? And people pop, 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 pop. They'll shout it out. They love food. Some people love their car. They buy a car. Have you noticed this? There's probably a formula. I just don't know what the formula is. How many days you're allowed to keep posting pictures on Facebook of you and your new car? Maybe it's related to how expensive it is. More expensive, the more days it's considered kosher to continue to post it. And if 
Somebody, some older, sweet, precious person opens their car door in a parking lot and it pops yours. You're able to lose your religion. Why? Because you love your car. And where is that in the Bible? Love your car with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. No, it's not. So we get pulled astray. The reason I think that we get pulled astray is the heart needs to love. That's why often a person who has been married for a long time, their spouse will die, and, and, and they eventually find someone else. And it's awkward. The kids are like, really? Dad, aren't you okay? You know, mom's gone. Just, just ride into the sunset with us, you know? Because the heart often needs to love. Needs to find someone or something to love. But real love, genuine love, agape love, is reserved for the things that matter most. So I'm up in Maysville. We arrive. My son says, hey, Dad, tonight is senior night for the boys' basketball team at Mason County High School. And we've got a boy that's a senior in this small church. We've got a boy that's a senior. Do you want to you wanna go see him? Because he, he knows you. He and I have exchanged messages, and he's a sweet kid. He, uh, has, uh, he's a baseball player. He's already committed to play baseball at Yale. Wow, what an education. I said, man, you're blessed. I said, the closest me and my family have gotten to Yale is the padlock on my locker at the gym. Landon uh, has ties to our church. A year ago, Almost exactly a year ago, I had, uh, called my son Adam, and I said, Adam had a young man in our church get saved. Josh Lucas gave his life to Christ. It only took about five or six years, but in God's timing, he got saved. And he's a baseball player. Adam was touched by that. He actually used it in a sermon. I didn't get royalties, Josh. I don't know if you did it or not, but he, yeah, he used it in a sermon. At the end of the sermon, this young man who'd been raised in church, a good kid, a good, clean-cut kid, he, he came up to Adam after church, and he said, Pastor, he said, I've tried to live right and do right all my life, but somehow this has escaped me. That story has touched me. I, I need to get saved. I need to give my life to Jesus. I need to be baptized. And so a couple of Sundays later, Landon got baptized. So we're at the game. After it's over with, a lot of picture taken and all. And the, the family, you know, knows me real well. Of course, their pastor's on, uh, is, is their pastor. And they said, would you take a picture uh, with Landon? Said, sure. And I looked. He wears a necklace with a cross. So I made sure I got my cross out. Adam got his out. And 
where all three with crosses glisten as they take the picture. And I thought, he gets it. He loves baseball and he loves basketball. Then I'm sure he loves his girlfriend, loves his parents. But because of something that happened a year ago, he loves God with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength. And a, a, a handsome, athletic young man with a great future makes sure that what matters most is on display. When we have real love, he gets focused on the things that matter, on the things that matter. Dysfunction, dysfunction, that's when things get messed up. Dysfunction arises when we love the wrong things. And we do that sometimes. We love the wrong things. Just in the last month or so, I've known of a couple of families that have been totally discombobulated because of uh, temper tantrums and expressions of uh, anger, selfishness, whatever, at a sporting event, and they got ejected. I mean, ejected for the rest of the year. A couple of times, I know different places, this has happened. It's like it's pandemic. We scream and curse at a referee. We boo the other team. We just go nuts. We're hateful to a coach. Talk to a coach, any high school coach. And they will tell you that every week or two, somebody texts or calls or says something angry and hateful. And it's just because somebody's grandchild's not played enough. And so we lose our religion or money. People go nuts over money. I didn't get paid enough or too much or praise, or getting credit for something. We have fights, and workplace gets divided. Dysfunction arises when we love the wrong things. The right thing is found out back in Deuteronomy chapter 6, around verse 6 in that passage, that tells us to, to teach our children, to rise up in the morning and teach them first thing. There's nobody like God. You love Him. In fact, you love Him with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. Even Jesus as a boy learned that and became part of His basic foundation. We teach our children to love God. How, how do we do that? Because good and decent people love God. I mean, yeah, that kind of is like religion, isn't it? If you want God to be happy with you and do all the right things, do A, B, and C. You can sit at a table at dinner with your wife and you can look up at her and smile and say, I want you to know that I love you so much. She goes, well, thank you. Yeah, I love you. Because that's what good husbands do. And I want everybody to know that I'm a good husband. So 
I love you, okay? I love you. Duty. Really? I love you out of duty? No, I think most ladies would like to hear a husband say, when I look at all of life, all of our journey, when I look at my accomplishments and yours and wherever God has taken us, when I look at you, I realize there's nothing on this earth as special as you. I love you. That's what she wants to hear. Have you not noticed on Facebook? Because I know y'all are on Facebook a lot. Well, says, I would like to tell my wife how much I love her on this, our anniversary. And my response is, well, good grief. I hope you're telling her. Because this doesn't count. You're telling us that you love her. Maybe. Just take her aside and say, I don't care if everybody else knows. I want you to know. I love you more than anything. And so it is with God. We love him. We teach our children to love him. How do you do that? You drop them off at church and let that children's director and that youth minister and that preacher teach them everything they need. Not we're a supplement. You teach them. You teach them by taking them to worship so they can see dad singing praises to God. They can hear mom pray. They can see dad opening up his Bible, maybe taking a note because the word of God's important. I'm going to tell you why. Because dad probably knows what the team batting average for uh, the Atlanta Braves is. And dad knows the completion percentage of Tom Brady. And dad knows uh, uh, who made the all-star game and who didn't get in the all-star game for the NBA. Because dad knows the important stuff. Make sure they know you know the real important stuff. We worship, we pray, we pray at home, we pray at the dinner table, we pray whenever a need arises. We pray together as a family. They also see dad with a cup of coffee and his Bible open as he prays. We teach our children about kindness because God is kind. He wants his followers to be kind to one another. So we teach our children with how we drive our car in traffic. We teach our children with our words. We teach them about priorities, what's most important in life. We keep it going right because we're the great teachers in their life. We show them, we model for them, and then we do so with giving, with giving. You know, my parents discussed giving with me. I don't remember the exact dollar amount, because when I was growing up, you know, our family was kind of working poor. I mean, they didn't make much money, and 
But they gave. They gave a tenth. They gave 10% of what they made. And uh, we could have used that money elsewhere, but it wasn't our money. It was never ours. We only get 90% of what we bring home. God gets his tenth. The pocketbook tells the story, how much do we spend on vacation? How much do we spend on eating out? How much do we spend at Christmas? How much do we give for the kingdom of God's work? For people like Ryan and Mary, all the way in Southeast Asia, living by faith, serving the gospel, because we give. In our church, because we give. Lives changed, because we give. Pocketbooks tell the story. Maybe we should open our checkbook. We tithe to fund the kingdom. It started with Abraham. And it continued to Jesus. It continued in the New Testament. We give. We give as God lays on our heart. We give because it belongs to him. And I've never met a person, ever, that gave a tenth, a tithe, that did not receive back more than they gave. I've never met a person who was faithful to that that couldn't make ends meet. But I've known a few who've been honest enough to tell me they decided that they wanted a better vacation or another car, and they took the money that you would have given to God and they spent it for personal stuff. I've had several people tell me that some of the roughest financial years of their lives, go figure, God blesses. So not only do we tithe or give a tenth to fund the kingdom, but we obey the prompting of the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit will say, hey, why don't you help them? There will be few joys greater in life than being in a restaurant, seeing an elderly person alone, eating at a table. And you call the server over and say, I want to pay their bill. Will you quietly get me their ticket? Then when you pay it, when they're getting ready to go, they go, what, what? And they glow. They glow. Because somebody noticed and cared and was generous. But that $15, $20, your heart will never be the same. When you learn the value of listening to the Holy Spirit to be generous. And I think we also teach our children to be people of honesty, people of integrity. You don't want something you didn't earn, you didn't work for. You don't want to take advantage. You want to be honest in all things. If somebody gave you too much change back at the store, you say, I think you meant to give me $1 back, not $10 back. But if you're greedy, it's like, hey, you snooze, you lose, baby. You stuff it in your pocket. Yeah. 
Those should be really good words to share in judgment. So, dysfunction arises when we love the wrong things. Love God. Love people. And God takes care of the rest. Now, believers express real love because we've received real love. You see, when God loves us, we have an idea how to love other people. First John chapter 4, verse 19 says, we only love because he loved us first. So let's do it. Act on it. As God is loving to us through his gift of Christ on the cross, then we're loving others. We love our neighbors, our next-door neighbors. We want to do things for people. We want to say kind things. So God loved us first, so we do love. God forgave us first. He doesn't hold our sins against us. It's what the cross is all about. So we learn how to forgive other people, not hold grudges, not be bitter, not remember every offense. And God set us free first. He forgave us and set us free. Freed our heart, freed our relationships, freed our life. You see, salvation is not a ticket to eternity. Salvation isn't a nice photo op in the baptistry so grandpa and grandma are happy that we're finally okay, which we're not, if that's what you're doing. No, life's changed. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new is come. 2 Corinthians 5.17. We, we learn this, that when God comes, things change. And love goes from wrong to right. So what does that mean for us? Do I just dismiss this and say, isn't that nice? God loves us. Weren't the children sweet? They got candy. And uh, I liked the songs. It was a good day. No. The word of God is used by the Holy Spirit to make a change. Here's our change. 